This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of What Most People Think. How are you doing, eh? It's beginning to look a lot like another fucking lockdown. Anyway, we'll get on to all that nonsense uh, shortly. This is another one of those weeks where I had to squeeze this podcast out. This is where the Patreon comes in so handy because I was supposed to be off work this week and then I took a little writing job Monday, then another one Tuesday, another one Wednesday. You know what the missus is like? You're supposed to be off this week. I was like, babe, babe, we're going to have Thursday and Friday. Absolutely family time, guaranteed good thing is you said well can you not miss the podcast one week i'm like babe i've got clients do you know what i mean i've got clients babe uh they can't be left just with mainstream topical comedy i'm not gonna do that to the patreons and and the listeners to what most people think anyway i don't know how your week's been man i've been a bit quiet on social media the last couple of weeks one because this thing happens every once in a while that i just find twitter a bit ridiculous i don't know what it is it's like if you actually pierce the kind of artifice of the whole thing it's it's a lot of grown-ups telling each other off and just wanting to be proved right in the fullness of time. But also, it's the most sanctimonious week I've ever heard on Twitter. The most self-righteous. I, th- I think this is beyond virtue signalling. I think self-righteousness made a return, particularly over the free school meals thing, which just... I mean, like, the w- one thing I did find odd was like people saying, right, right, I'm going to... I'm going to go out and uh, I'm going to gonna fund free school meals myself. I'm going to deliver them myself. And I thought, that's fantastic. Brilliant. Well, you know, well done you. That's not just virtue signaling. You're actually going to do something about it. And then people go, yeah, and uh, just give a big two fingers to Boris. I was like, I, I'm not sure you fully researched conservatism, actually, because I think that that is exactly the end goal of the conservative dream <laughs> is to the state back out of doing something and, and people sort of uh, chip in themselves. Uh, listen, I always welcome the patrons. Uh, we got some £10 patrons and a couple of people that haven't had their shout out from before. We got Robbie Tate. Now, uh, Robbie, you're sounding to me like a mid-90s Middlesbrough midfielder. Was, was there a player called that? Are you him? Are you he? Uh, we got Rodri Owen. He's just being as Welsh as he can be. Rodrigo, Rodrigo, yeah, it's a hard accent, that Welsh one. It can become Indian really easily. Steve Gray, sounds like a Crystal Palace midfielder, again from the mid-90s. Was that Andy Graham thinking of? Graham Reid, Graham Reid definitely opened the batting for Kent in the 80s. <laughs> Asija, sorry if you've got your name, uh, the pronunciation wrong, Asija, but you've been a, a VIP patron for a while, and I'm sorry that the shout was late coming. And that, this goes to everybody. If you've been a patron for a while and you haven't had your shout out, either message me uh, through the Patreon site or um, what most people think, uk at gmail.com. 
Uh, Andrew Hempstead. Andy Hempstead. Andy Hempstead. You like smoking the weed there, do you? Is that a nickname? Andy Hempstead. He only got into it in his late 30s and then he's just been absolutely smashed throughout lockdown. Did you see that thing that said that, that substance abuse has gone gone up during lockdown? No shit, Sherlock. That's why that's why that's why people do loads of fucking heroin in 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 like Siberia. I think I just made that up. Anyway, um this week for Patreon, I am hopefully by the time this goes out, I am dropping the biggest thing I've ever dropped on Patreon. You can see keep saying dropped, Jeff. Yeah, I am because I'm 43 and I can pull off that sort of words. Um is the full 20-minute set from lockdown. So if you'd have seen it on social media, there was that stuff that I did about, you know, people walking around with their T-shirts over their mouth and, you know, old people kind of standing against the wall. That that set, the whole thing, the whole 20-minute set, only for patrons. All tiers are in on this one. There is a, there is a VIP uh, benefit coming up very soon, which I'll be telling you about next week. And it's just as a thank you. Do you know what I mean? I know things are a bit grim at the moment. I thought, fuck it. You know, there's not there's not much kind of stand up on television at the moment anyway. And I thought I thought you might enjoy it. So you can get involved with that if you want to join the Patreon and you can access all the exclusive content that I've put there from before. Now, the cuss count. David Domain, are you listening? Because I didn't hear from you this week. And the main thing is, I'm just, I'm just, are you all right? Have I done something to piss you off, David? Or are you, are you, are you sick? I mean, has the COVID, has the COVID got David? I'm... Just email me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you don't have to, you do this out of the goodness of your heart and I appreciate it, but I just want to know that you're all right, mate. And it does make me think that we can't always rely on David Domain. He's out there having an awesome name, David Domain. Um, we need, we need cover if he, if he has to call in sick. So we perhaps need some sort of rotor here. So if you are interested in, in cuss count related, in unpaid uh, swearing work, um, I would say that me and Mark, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, uh, Guess that I had 30 fuck, f- fuckings last week. I think Mark probably had six. Mark Nelson. Thanks, by the way, for all the feedback about the Mark Nelson episode. I know that I know that a lot of people like the ones with guests, but I really do try and uh, uh, pick and choose like who, who comes on. Because as you can imagine, with the comedy circuit being like it is, um, not everyone's going to be right for the podcast. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I, you know, it's, I've had loads of lefties on, but it's a certain kind of um, lefty. I don't know if Mark would necessarily fully call himself a lefty, but it's really interesting. And, and, and you know, yeah, as a couple of you pointed out, I am massively ignorant about Scottish politics. But in a way, that was partly why um, I had him on. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the new national lockdown. So as I'm recording this, there's news breaking, right? So I was going to talk about other stuff, but the news has moved on. So I'm going to talk about the new national lockdowns across Europe and what might happen here. We're going to talk about Corbyn and the, the shocking finding that Corbynistas were a little bit anti-Semitic. I mean, I don't know about you. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, we're going to talk about male teachers uh, in school and we're going to, or the lack of them, the declining. As Sam Smith said another particularly stupid thing uh, this week. If we've got time... Um, a little bit of men's mental health and then a couple of letters and out. Uh, just a quick thank you to um, the game Star Wars Squadron on PlayStation 4. I've been playing it with my son. It's really, it's just, it's basically the game that we've both wanted for a while. We just want to fly X-rings around and shoot stuff. But he started using the word killed. Like, Daddy, I killed that man. I was sort of thinking this isn't probably cool, like given his age. I've probably put myself right in it now because I think that game has got a Peggy rating a lot higher than his age. He's 12. I've just remembered my son is 12 and not four. And he, um, and he, <laughs> so I said to him like, son, <laughs> he, he blew up the ship and he said, daddy, I killed that man. I said, son, maybe, maybe, maybe don't use killed. It's a bit, bit brutal and a bit fine. He went, okay, daddy, daddy, I made that man be dead. I was like, good. I like what you've done there. You want to keep it dark? You keep it dark, son. Um, and a fuck you to a fuck you this week to the people that go somewhere 
and evidently haven't been out much at all during this year. And like it's slightly empty and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to take a photo and post it online. I'm on this train. It's normally quite busy and it's not busy. I'm like, Has it taken you to the end of October to work out the devastating <laughs> economic effects of uh, lockdown in terms of uh, footfall and just, just you know, the economy? Because... Uh, I just, you know, and they've always got their masks on. They look like slightly self-righteous about the fact that they're wearing a mask. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that cafe that you love, that that train, right, that restaurant, that pub. Yeah, your newsflash, it's all slightly less busy than it was. So the fact that you aren't aware of that, maybe you're part of the problem. So as you're probably aware, the uh, lockdowns, quite strict lockdowns coming in across uh, major European nations. They've gone for one in France. They've gone, uh, they're going right up to the end of November. Gone till November. They're giving it the old Wyclef Jean. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Germans have gone for a slightly less, you know, more sort of pragmatic one. And it, you know, this thing seems to be coming in. You know, one, one thing it does kind of clarify is whether you believe in them or not. The old two week circuit breaker was never really a thing, was it? I mean, it kind of came, you know, oh, how convenient. We could just tie it in with half-term, just two weeks. Look, look, whatever your argument is, it, it, apparently it's evident. It's either something more significant or nothing uh, at all. And, um, of course, now we've got the same debates happening, you know. And I, I heard this woman on the radio who's like uh, a, a, a scientist, and she was saying, well, you know, you just have a four-week one now and then maybe a short one in January. And it was almost like she was talking about like, like a little cheeky mini-break. To European Sea, yeah, no, we really like to get away in November. Then we like a cheeky little get another one in, in January, and then we're probably all right to the Easter. Look, I, I try to be respectful about this discussion. I think that um, I, you know, you have the lockdownists and the remain openerists. We don't really have good words for it yet, evidently. And on this occasion, I do find myself surprised to be a remainer. I'm a remain openerist on balance, but you know, you have to accept that the other side have an argument. You know what I mean? Even if you disagree, there is an argument, right? Is that, you know, on the one hand, if you don't lock down, there'll be rising hospitalizations, infections, you know, COVID-related deaths, you know, depending on how you think those are logged, and then mental health issues from people being scared of dying. And then on the other hand, it's pretty much the same, but it just takes longer. <laughs> people die, people get really poor. There'll be no fucking, you know, there'll be no fun until... June 2021, you know, it's quite a serious thing to be asking a, a, a nation to do. So there are strong arguments on either side, you know, but I do think that I just object to the idea that there's this magical silver bullet, you know, so all right, we, we go into some sort of lockdown in November, it's, these things get momentum, right? It's probably something's going to happen. And then we, and then we come out again, what for Christmas, and then it rises again, and then it, then it shuts again. I mean, there's no obvious, I mean, the thing about the vaccines is that it's not like the flu vaccine gets taken once and then it's done. The flu vaccine has to be re-administered forever. It's a thing that's in circulation forever. You know, so the talk of the vaccine as a way of offsetting this is, on the other hand, we do have some positive news coming out of AstraZeneca. And yeah, look, I, I'd love to believe that, that we can just give everyone one jab and then everything will go back to normal. But the question comes back down to not whether or not we just have to find a way of living with this thing that is circulating and and you know it does go it also brings in this argument that remainers had about the impact on on young people right now i think in terms of employment obviously it's going to devastate people that have just come have just come out of university and stuff i mean that is absolutely savage but i believe that new jobs will happen i mean whether or not they're the kind of jobs young people want do you know what i mean i mean i just think every you know <laughs> virtually anyone under the age of 25 will be involved in serving food or drink to someone <laughs> 
it would be like just it would be like doing a national service, wouldn't it? You just have to work for like Just Eat or so, because <laughs> that'll be how we all get our food. It'd just be it'd just be young people just bringing the things that middle aged middle class people want to their house. Um, but what I worry about is that they'll get jobs eventually. I think I think the economy will recover, but. It's the stuff that goes in the meantime, isn't it? It's all the cool stuff, the kind of stuff that helps you, you know, enjoy or have a rich lived experience. You know, concerts, gigs, nightclubs, restaurants, pubs. I mean, they're just, I mean, opening a nightclub in 2020, this is the problem with nightclub shut, is opening one in 2020 is not the same proposition as it was. I mean, back in the 90s when all the super clubs were opening, do you know what I mean? Just had to have some twat. You know, with a coke addiction and an inheritance, <laughs> it's generally all it needed. In 2020, with the health and the safety and and all the different licenses and all the kind of drug compliance and you know, like people having to have their passports screenshotted for terrorism screen. I mean, it's just it's not a great proposition. So now, when nightclubs shut, I just don't think that they get replaced at all. And the other thing that I don't think ever people have fully understood on, on the liberal left kind of like lockdown this side is they're like you know this will be, provide certainty for business you know because they'll know that once we do this we can fully get back to normal and I think I think you're missing a point that, that businesses quite have got into a business partly because they quite like doing it do you know what I mean they they like you know if you own a cafe they like opening up in the morning bring the shutters up seeing your regulars do you know what I mean selling some fucking bacon rolls you know maybe the odd sort of vegan breakfast but you know, they have it on the menu, but that's just to get people in the door. Once you're in there, you have a proper breakfast, right? And and providing entertainment. I'm sorry, employment. <laughs> That'd be a weird cafe, would it? Providing entertainment. Yeah, can I have uh, can I have eggs, sausage, beans, mushrooms, and a little bloke with a ukulele? Yeah, coming right up there, sir. It's all right, we'll bring the ukulele fellow over to you. I just think that this is this is my worry about any kind of second lockdown is that the businesses that kind of sucks it up the first time round. What you're going to see, I think you're going to see a rate of, of closure and uh, redundancies that are much, much more because you just lose your bottle, do you? You just kind of go, how fucking is the energy that it takes for things to happen, isn't it? I, I remember it's like, it's almost like, do you remember the first plane went into the world trade? <laughs> This is the worst. It just lost my three American listeners. But like, do you remember the first plane went in? It was on the news. It was shocking and all that. And then the second one in went in. Everyone's like, okay, this is fucking bad. Everything has changed now. And I remember with the um, the London uh, the London attacks. Remember the tube attack was there was everyone, Londoners did great, right? The following day, people are like, you've almost went back to like the blitz period. You won't be stopping me going into work on the Circle Line. I tell you that much, Mister Jihadist. And then, um, and then, ten days later, there was another scare, wasn't there? I don't know if you remember. It ended up on a shootout on a uh, <laughs> on a roof. There was some geezer in his pants. I'm just remembering this now. Have I just was this a weird cheese dream? Some geezer in his pants, and he was he was being uh, he had sort of like loads of uh, markers, like red markers on his head um, from the guns trained on him. And I thought I remember thinking about that bloke with these terrorists and stuff. They're never they're never good looking lads, are they? Really? You never. <laughs> it's the same as. Uh, same as when you get the college shooters, isn't it? In the first time you see the image, you go, ah, I can see why he was a bit fucked off with the world. He's kind of, he's got to his early 20s. He's looked in the mirror, he's going, well, I'm always going to be a virgin. On that note, I mean, this is grim stuff. As I'm, as I'm doing this, the news is coming out about um, the, the terrorist attacks in, uh, in Nice. Uh, and I just think, like, what I find odd, this is another odd thing. Maybe this will go into the next subject 
um, on the EHRC report on the Labour Party is that what this is coming from, these, these wave of sort of uh, jihadist attacks is because people are saying that you shouldn't be allowed to publish something that they find offensive within their their religion. And, and, and like this is a free speech. I mean, this couldn't be more bluntly a free speech issue. And, and it's so worrying, the silence on that issue that you see coming out of large parts of the left. They're happy to condemn the attacks. Oh, really? What you think people getting, a, wo- a woman getting fucking beheaded in a church is bad? Well, th- that just puts you, that just makes you a human being, all right? What you've got to say is what I think is that this is, a f- this is so fundamental. The idea that p- people aren't allowed to say something and we see it's the most extreme end of the free speech argument, but um, it, it kind of crystallises some of the fears people have on, on the left about speaking out on certain issues because they think, I don't know what I don't know what their fear is. Do, or do they just not believe in free speech anymore and they're, they're kind of embarrassed about it? You know what I mean? You know, like when you've gone off something, like when you're a kid, do you ever have that when you go around your family's house and there was this thing that you always loved, you know, and your auntie keeps going, oh, here you go, I bought you out the after eight minutes. Oh, he loves the after eight minutes. I remember when you was eight, we gave him to him for the first time and he had the old box. He was sick, but we kept giving him to him. That's what that's what I think some people on the left are like with free speech. Fuck, you know. What most people think. We had the um, the EHRC report about uh, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. And there's some pretty damning findings, uh, one of which was the, of the political interference from the leader of the opposition's office, which is Jeremy Corbyn's office. Uh, 23 occasions that they had um, intervened and I don't think that they were intervening in a good way, do you? <laughs> just going like, you know, I was intervening. No, we, just, we were just so keen for justice to be done, actually. If anything, we were probably too keen on anti-Semitism to be eradicated. And uh, it does seem like pretty strong findings, you know. And and this, and, and yeah, it's all, it's all a real shock, isn't it? And immediately I went on Twitter just to see how some of the, the kind of staunch Corbynistas are, are handling it. And they, they, they took it really well, as you'd expect, given that they... Somehow I think that Jeremy Corbyn has always been on the right side of history. I think he's finally, just finally, just was slightly the wrong side of the fence on this one, lads. Um, but they were all like, oh, the EHRC are just packed with Tories and probably a do with fucking Mossad and just Israel. <laughs> That's what they really want to do, isn't it? They just want to get to the point where they can say Israel, free Palestine. Um, and look, and the whole point is, it's, like, it's weird because I don't, I, I'm reluctant to make too many jokes about this because it's pretty grim, isn't it? Like a, a political party that is predicated on the idea of, of fairness and anti-racism have been, you know, have been found guilty of some very funky stuff. Um, funky stuff, Jeff? Is that what you see anti-Semitism as? Uh, racism. This is this what again we come back to this point. Why is anti-Semitism? It's got this special, not entirely racist thing. When actually, in our recent past, it's got one of the most fucking cut and dry examples of really bad racism, which is the Holocaust. You know, it's dangerous, isn't it, to think of yourself as the good guys? Because if you just think, oh, I'm one of the good guys, then then what can you do? You can do you can do worse stuff. I mean, the Tories, and I'm sure that the Tories will eventually have their own uh, investigation into Islamophobia. And there's absolutely no doubt that there's like the further right elements of the Tory party, that there are racists there. Of course there are. But yeah, when you think you're the good guy, right, or you imagine that your brand is based around being a nice person, and fuck it, oh, Nicholas Stern. There's probably some people now going, oh, what a surprise. He's brought it back round to Nicola Sturgeon. I just got to say, man, I don't know if you saw, there was a briefing the other day where she was saying that they had basically eradicated coronavirus from Scotland and it was really at other parts of the UK, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, with a land border, perhaps, uh, that had brought it in. And she was just lying, man. She was straight up fucking lying. 
And I just, it's just okay to be. She was just, if that had been one of like the strong men leaders like Bolsonaro, or Erdogan, or Trump, imagine the same thing of Trump going, yeah, we'd, uh, we'd pretty much, uh, we'd eradicated coronavirus and people brought it in from, uh, you guessed it, Mexico. I mean, like, straight up racist. That'd be, people go, that is fucking racist. To, to, especially when, like, when it's a lie is what makes it racist. But if, if people coming up from Morpeth, oh, you know, then, then the liberal left will try and find a way of uh, agreeing with Nicola, weren't they? No, she's all right. People from England, we are, we are disgusting and diseased. Anyway, you know, going back to the Labour Party, there's been a few big moments in my life where the idea that they exclusively stand for good has been challenged. Um, you know, the expenses scandal, uh, where the all the people that went to prison for that were Labour politicians, I think. All the people that did time for that, you know. They're supposed to be the, you know, the good ones, and there they were with their hands in the till. I mean, Brexit as well for me, the fact that the party was supposed to represent the working classes... You know, just just were ended up arguing for a second referendum and and kind of ignoring the wishes of quite a decent chunk of their voters, and and then we've got this, and we, then we've got this, and and maybe there are slightly more bastard Tory MPs on balance, but you're supposed to be the goodies. <laughs> you're supposed to be the goodies. You trash your own brand, man. It's like it's that famous Mitchell and Webb sketch, isn't it, where David Mitchell's dressed up as a, a, a Nazi and he says, "Sorry, are, are we the baddies here?" It's a question like. You've always got to ask yourself, are we the baddies here? And um, the great thing, you know, the great thing about being right wing is is that everyone already thinks you're the baddies. So, like, the only thing you could do is improve on that perception. You know, when people dislike me, you know, if, if I meet them and I'm anything less than a, a despicable bastard, they, it, you know, I've outperformed my brand. Right? <laughs> They're setting themselves up on a fucking plinth where they could only fall face first into the ground. And the problem is, right, is that Starmo's got to take action, isn't he? Old Keir Starmer, maybe he was the informer. Informer, Keir Starmer. Uh, <laughs> uh, but their vote, you know, he's got to take action, but he's got a problem because their vote currently, a lot of polls, you'd think, you know, that they would be. And in fairness to the Corbynistas, if Corbyn hadn't been 10 points ahead during, you know, a pandemic and the way the government had handled it, the left, you know, the centrist would have been apoplectic, but Labour aren't getting above forty percent, and I think the reason for that is that um, is because they've a lot of people that like to feel radical in terms of voting for Corbyn have already they're splint they're going to splinter away to other parties, aren't they? They're going to the new Black Lives Matter party. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what the Black Lives Matter? There's a Black Lives Matter party. There's a there's a Green party. There's a Save the NHS party. There's a Women's party. I think this is what will happen now. We just have loads of. Uh, we just have we'll, have we'll have a trans party. We'll have uh, a kind of vegan party. It would, it would just it would just continually splinter and it'll make it harder and harder for Labour to ever get um, a majority. Because one of the problems with Starmer, and it was kind of highlighted by Andy Burnham's passion and the way that people bought into that, is he doesn't make anybody feel anything, Starmer, does he? Like when he talks, you don't feel something. Like you look at like a lot of the, you know, people take the piss out of the strongmen leaders, but one of their successes is that they inspire something, a feeling in people. Whereas Keir Starmer, he doesn't, he doesn't make anything, he doesn't make people feel anything other than smug. Okay, just a quick hype. Well, we've got some new £5 patrons, actually. We need to say hello to these legends, legends of the game. Dave Duncan. I mean, like, I, if you're having a kid, go for alliteration. It never fails. Dave Duncan. It's old Dave Duncan. Who's going to forget Dave Duncan? Not only that, he's got two first names, which I always think is a massive shout. 
Dave Duncan, uh, Daniel Connolly. They're just loads of Daniel Connollys, Donnellys. Is this just me thinking this? Um, <laughs> Daniel Connolly and Amy Lindley. And um, Amy, great name, Amy. For some reason, there are some women's names that I always think imply a good-looking woman. Right? I'm not just trying to bar up late Amy because she's uh, become a patron here. I just I don't know if like I've known I've only ever known good-looking Amys. Megan is another one. She's always pretty Megans. You know what I mean? Moira's on the other hand. I'm joking. Look, if you're a Moira, there's nothing to start. It's just, well, it's not, it's, you wouldn't give that name. I mean, <laughs> you look at a beautiful bouncing baby girl in, tw- you know, fair enough if it was in the 80s, but now 2020, Moira, I mean, it's just not. <laughs> I'm probably going to like, lose. I'll probably check my Patreon and find out. Three Moiras deleted their pledge. Um, just quickly, um, hyping stuff, really. I mean, the main thing is now as we're probably hunkering down into this lockdown, any any kind of Patreon action that you can give helps me with the uh, the podcast and stuff. And I'll be looking at uh, in the next month. As I said, I'm already dropping the... I've said dropped again. Jeff, you're 43. Remember that. Uh, I've dropped the 20 minute... <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. Uh, dropped the... Oh, my God, that was a hat trick. That's how a hat trick happens in cricket, right? The first one you're not thinking about. The second one is because you haven't even clocked the danger. And then the third one is just nerves, which just stumps, splayed everywhere. I have put it on Patreon, the whole 20-minute lockdown set. So whenever you join, you'll be able to unlock that and all the previous content. Um, I do have I have a couple of gigs left in the tour. Um, you know, we've all got it in place for them to happen in Maidenhead and Shrewsbury. The venue should be in touch about how they're going to happen because both of them had to split them over two showings to get, to get people in. Um, the Naughties, I was on a show called The Naughties on BBC, which is still on iPlayer, episode one, me, Ellie Taylor and Angela Scanlon. And yes, you're right, I was there to up the glam account. <laughs> it just They look so glamorous and then there's just me sitting in there, just sitting in my little beer gut. I had to have this pillow behind me and I just felt, well, I felt fat, guys. I felt really fat. And also it was recorded just as we were coming out of... Um, lockdown so a lot of people say well this is a really basic format but but if they'd have released it immediately everyone would have gone what a great piece of lockdown telly thanks for getting this on guys but now everyone's going everyone else is back in studios why are you sitting in a in a front room but it was a lot of fun to make and um and yeah I did feel like just some electrician that had walked into <laughs> their front room and just stayed for a chat what most people think lockdown. just quick chat about men in schools which sounds pervy, doesn't it? But just I, I wrote an article for the Times last week, and um, it was about the fact that there'd been a slump, there'd been a drop off of the amount of men male teachers in secondary schools, and it, it, you know it was a slump, it was a drop. Of, some people pointed out was like it was only a drop of two percent. You go, well, that's already starting from a low base when it comes to men in secondary schools. You know, you're talking it was already, it was already thirty five. I think this took it legitimately under a third. Under a third. Men are actually a minority in schools. I think the first thing we need to talk about here is about special support groups, you know, safe spaces. Because <laughs> you know, it's like, if, you, if you've ever worked in an office of predominantly women, I, I have, and I just, I didn't respond well for it. Because I, th- I think there's only one or two ways a, a man can go in that situation is you either assimilate, do you know what I mean? You start getting involved in like baking days. Oh, oh my God, it's Kirsty's birthday. I'm doing the cakes. Or you double down and become more masculine because you're trying to sort of lay down a marker for how you refuse to change or evolve. I sort of went, I sort of went that way when I was teaching. I, I went and um, I, I went and built myself an office on my own because I couldn't, I couldn't handle the gas bagging to be honest. Because we were in a very tiny office, and it was just 
there was, oh, this just sounds like I'm being sexist now. But like, even if you're a woman, if, you, if you've worked in an office where there was like 90% women, you know how it goes. It's the same as if it's like 90% blokes. It's going to get a bit fucking, you know, boisterous. It's just balance is good. But we don't have them in secondary schools. And we, we already know that from primary schools that there are only 85% uh, women and 15% men. And, you know, the argument that gets put across in, in both contexts is, well, you know, maybe men just don't care enough about kids, you know? You know, I think... Sorry, are you victim blaming here? Because in any other situation where women are a much smaller part of the workforce, it's always some, someone else's fault, isn't it? You know, in politics, because women are discouraged from being in politics. It's a toxic atmosphere. You know, maybe a lot of blokes find schools are like weirdly feminised these days. You know, a lot too much talking, not enough action. Maybe, maybe that. Maybe when it comes to politics, women aren't bothered enough. If we're going to do the victim blaming thing, maybe women should just. St- <laughs> Yeah, just stop worrying about your kids and get in the House of Commons for fuck's sake um, but you know what? what is it about the modern atmosphere that isn't as appealing to men you know it's another I mean one, one of the things now is like the amount of prep and wall displays or maybe that's always been a thing but I, I don't know if this is a bloke thing but I, as a teacher I wasn't fantastic on the wall displays I think it's fair to say that I kind of thought in my view if you're doing spending time on wall displays it's because you know you're compensating for something Whereas my walls were blank. I was the display. I am the colour. I am the white. <laughs> but I also think that they were like, you know, in terms of being a good male teacher, there were certain basics that you could take care of. And let's be honest, like how female teachers dress in school, they, they can just dress how they want. There's no real, no one really, everyone's terrified to kind of speak to women about what they wear. But with male teachers, I just felt you had to keep it basic and go with a very loose shirt and tie, preferably a suit, all right? Because you drop below that level, kids, teenagers are fucking superficial, man. They're very led by, they're very led by image, you know. And if, if you, you just got to go in there looking the part. And the other thing that I, w- I would never tolerate, because I, by the time I started teaching, a lot of the kids, instead of saying yes, sir, for the register, they would just go here. And I was like, I did not go through my PGCE to just have someone giving the most basic affirmation of presence within a physical environment. Let me tell you that. What, here. 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 Or just, uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Because and it, when I saw that happening to other teachers, I felt embarrassed for them. Do you know what I mean? Like when you, they're just watching them get disrespected in their own classroom. I didn't know where to put my eyes. It was a bit like, um, a bit like you know when you're like in Waitrose and you see like a middle-class kid just kicking off and disrespecting their mum. I mean, if you got brought up in a, you know, a solid working class background, you're just, you're just embarrassed. Do you see how kids call their mum a bitch? You ever seen kids doing that? Your mum, why can't I have frosties, you bitch? And the mum's like, now, now, now come on, Eli. Now come on, Eli. <laughs> no, you're such a bitch. I hate you, you big bitch. Uh, I remember once um, I was around my mate's house and he called his mum a swine. That was weird. Isn't that weird? I was only about eight. And I just remember, <laughs> a swine. I was, I was shocked he insulted his mum. And I was also... Shock that he used like such a such a weird word. But being called sir is, is is a perk of the job, you know. Is a perk of the job. Yes, sir. People have to call you sir. You know. I wasn't even earning. <laughs> I was earning in the low twenties, and I got called sir. What other job would you get that in? You know, the head teacher would come in. She was like a um, very senior. You know, she's a woman. She was on six figures. You know, she was a big community figure. She had to come and go. Excuse me, sir. I was like, yes, miss. <laughs> How cool is that? I call that. I remember. I remember, and even after school. I remember after school. Um, 
I don't know if I mentioned this before, but there was I had an ex student. This was about ten years after I'd finished teaching, and uh, he saw me in town, and he was like, "Oh, oh, oh now, 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 uh, now you're not my teacher. I, I can call you Jeff." I was like, "No, call me Sir." Okay, you will always call me Sir Aaron, and he uh, he was with his missus as well and his kids, and I was like, "No, I'm sorry. There's standards here. It's like being president. You know what I mean? They always have to be called Mr. President after that." And the problem, this is one of the problems with teaching, is that as a man, you're expected to work your whole life, aren't you? Like it's an unbroken stream. And it, it just like it's not like women that can just, you know, piss about having kids, which as we all know is a complete dos, right? Just what gonna get in the pajamas, put a DVD on this. <laughs> um if you listen to this as a couple, how much of an argument did I just cause then? If you if you're listening to this as a couple and you're the man and you just laughed at that, well, good luck for the next 20 minutes. If you finish school and then become a teacher in reasonably good time, you're gonna just you're just gonna spend your whole life in a school. You know, and then if you wanna earn any any kind of money out of it, you've got to like cause you can get up to like the top of the pay scale. You can earn good money as a classroom teacher, you know, certainly by national standards. But uh, if you're somebody that just really wants to earn serious cheddar, right, and somebody who's maybe fixated on getting to six figure territory, you know, you gotta be a deputy head or head. And you go, that is a big, like, that's such a responsible position. You know, certainly from the way I viewed it when I was a kid. A deputy head, a head teacher. And you just sort of think back through your life and you think about all the things you've done and all the, all the kind of uh, mischief you've got into. You go, yeah, I don't think maybe I'm the guy to perhaps be the moral and spiritual guide for 1,500 kids. So, look, I just think, look, I'm, I hope this isn't controversial, but I think we need to take, you know, profound action. Boys need male role models in school, and I think it's not unreasonable, you know, in the same way that we've had quotas to increase female participation, and, you know, and and women getting better pay settlements to close the gender pay gap, I think that male teachers should be paid more. I think that's completely reasonable. (laughs) I think we should have an advert. If you go into teaching now as a man, as a man, I mean, certainly not an English teacher, if that's your use of language, you could get paid up to 10% more. Teaching, it pays more when you've got balls. Just a, a little one here about Sam Smith. So he, you know Sam Smith, they is a good bloke. <laughs> they is such a cool singer. I mean, that's how he likes referring to himself. So he's, he's gender neutral. That's Sam Smith's thing. You know the singer, right? Uh, he's done well to become that successful with like such a mundane name as Sam Smith, isn't he? I mean, Elton John, Madonna, Freddie Mercury, Sam Smith. Um, but he, there's a headline in the Metro that said that Sam Smith says they want to be mummy to future kids as they address struggles of changing pronouns. It's really difficult. Like, I don't know about you, but... Look, Sam Smith can call himself whatever the fuck he wants, but I feel sorry for grammar. I, don't, I can't tell what the subject and the object of that sentence is. Sam Smith says they want to be mummy. So he, in old, in old money, I'm not mis gender in fucking pronoun in him but just to make it understandable to the people who listen to my podcast sam smith wants to be mummy to future kids as sam, why don't you just keep repeating sam smith just to make him feel ridiculous as sam smith but the fact is his future kids as they address struggles that means that i now think that we're talking about the kids in this so sorry if this is just making it more confusing to listen to but i often think you know with political correctness if one of the the objectives is, is to make 
last in change in society, right? It's like like we did with you know homosexuality. I'm sure that there are still some fairly homophobic granddads out there, but largely the argument was won with society, wasn't it? Right? Um, and I, the granddad test. This is will this make any sense to the oldest member of your family? If you if you read that out. They would just be staring at you. The third time of reading, they'd be going, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? What are you, you're doing the crack, are you, boy? Are you on the crack? You're doing the crack? Um, you know, I'm sure people are doing their own crack-related jokes. Now. I'll let you do those. You know, this is a, a, a team game. But, you know, he, he, the thing about Sam Smith is they decry normal gender norms, right? They, that's what they say. They, I can't do it. It doesn't make sense. Um but then why does he need to identify... She... Oh, for fuck's sake. Why does Sam Smith need to identify as mummy or daddy in that case? How can you be so progressive that you literally... You kind of... Uh, you fly past gender norms, you know? You reject gender norms. And then when it comes to being a parent, you're like, oh, I'll be mummy. I mean, that's the ultimate gender norm, isn't it? It's the ultimate gender norm. But, you know, the thing is, I don't know if you can. I think being a mother is uh, arguably a genetic thing. <laughs> I know that's a crazy old-fashioned uh, attitude that I'm putting out there, but I uh, kind of do, you know. I think that mothers have, have unique genetic qualities, which, as we all know, help them be good mothers. Like, you know, they, will, uh, they have certain antiseptic saliva that they can clean your face with. That is, right, that is, that's the thing that only mothers have. They, could, they can cut hair without formal training, you know. They just, they just see your hair long and they think, oh, I'm going to fucking cut that. That is something that you cannot, you cannot train that into a person. So look, look. If Sam Smith is they want to be mummy, then they should be mummy. Then, but he, as in me, wishes to they still be daddy. What the? Okay, we've got a couple of letters to do here. Hi Jeff, loving the podcast as always. My question for it this week is: Is it bad? I'm secretly hoping for tighter lockdown restrictions. Yes, Paul in York. Don't not even reading on. You people that love a bit of lockdown. I mean, that's the point where I'm at, where I'm like, I understand the arguments for lockdown. I don't understand the fucking enthusiasm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, it's actually, you know, the Mandalorian's about to drop on Disney+. Plus. I, I actually wouldn't mind. Oh, yeah, good. Well, I'm sure you're on a fucking fixed council in some. Anyway, let, let's do Paul the courtesy of reading on. So I don't have to pretend to enjoy... Uh, to enjoy spending time with people who I'd secretly like to tell us to shut the fuck up. Uh, oh, this is about Christmas, right? I get it. I get it. If the family forces me to break the rules because it's Christmas, would I be going too far by calling the police? <laughs> well, that's that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Like, if, if you're that anti-spending... I, mean, I imagine this is an in-laws thing, Paul. I don't know. And I probably shouldn't have said you're in York here because that narrows it down to a dangerous degree. Um, would you... Yeah, I mean, like, calling the old bill. Who's the snitch? I was thinking, you know, there was that headline in the Daily Mail this week about the police kind of busting in on your Christmas... Can you imagine the scene? All right, everybody, fucking get down. <laughs> fucking get down. Get down. Like your, your nan fucking bent over like the buffet, you know what I mean? Face down, face down and, and some fucking cheese and pineapple, like with little wooden sticks going in her eyes. I'm blind, I'm blind, I'm blind. And then like your, your little nephew trying to nick the taser off the copper. I mean, that would make a good board game, wouldn't it? I often think the board games lack a bit of jeopardy. Tell the coppers to stay. Get the drinks out and let's all play a game of Monopoly that involves tasering. <laughs> Instead of you know, they go you you have you, you go to jail. Do not pass go. Do not claim. Go to jail and get tasered. I think that is kind of like the Monopoly that we all need. That's funny, Paul. That's funny. It's a good idea. 
And then on, following the back of that, I had another letter from Martin where the gist of it was to uh, tell, he basically said, tell the police that you've been burgled and that can guarantee that they won't show up at your house for at least three weeks. I think uh, <laughs> I absolutely see where you're coming from with that. One of the letters this week is from AR. It just says AR. Sorry if, I, if you actually put your name there. It says, slightly off topic, but as man of the people, that's absolutely my brand, <laughs> uh, you're increasingly appearing on topical shows such as Question Time and LBC's Cross Questions, which, by the way, is a really good chat on Ian Dale's show. Uh, it should still be up there. So just have a look back and, and listen to that. It was a good chat. Um, I think what I and perhaps a lot of people want to know is what it's like, i.e. being on these kind of shows. What are the people like? Are they smooth, in control or well briefed or running around with their hair on fire? Is it the West Wing or is it Veep? Well, <laughs> definitely more at the Veep end. And is there tension behind the scenes or laughter and GNTs? Um, so the first thing is, I should say, is so the first experience I had of that was literally question time, which was a bit kind of in at the deep end. And it, it kind of took took me back by, we were in the green room beforehand, we was with James Cleverly, who's a really nice bloke. He gets stick on social media. I think he's, he's just a nice bloke. Angus Robertson, uh, the, the then leader of the SNP in the House of Commons, who's a bit long-winded, but a very nice man, like a genuinely nice man. There's a journalist called Fleet Street Fox and stuff, and and David Dimbleby, and it was just, it is a bit like, you're right, like people were having GNTs and it was the smiles before the snarls and, and maybe it, it ruins the illusion, but politicians do broadly get on all right. Um, but, uh, but then Diane Abbott was on as well. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite the same vibe when, when Diane came in, it's fair to say, and anyone that saw me on Question Time with Diane Abbott will know that we did run into a bit of beef as it went on. Um, they, are, they, they are really nervous, do you know what I mean? Because now... And I do. I, I I I like politicians. I like working with them. I like working with people in politics and in political coverage on television. There's a real energy about it that that's different from comedy in a way. But basically, they know that if they fuck up, like you know, they're doing two hundred thousand views on Twitter. Like as a politician, every single time you're on one of the mainstream political shows, you're just on Twitter, just refresh trending, refresh trending. Because the moment you say something. You know, you're just trying to talk and think of an answer. And meanwhile, some shit comes out of your mouth. Like, they're talking about free school meals. And you're kind of, well, the thing about the, the these people, and then you're trying to keep talking, and you're going, did I just say these people? I mean, I mean, these people on benefit. I mean, oh, that sounds, should I double down? Or should I should I explain that? And explain it? Would that make it worse? And then meanwhile, you're trying to make your next point, And that's coming out like absolute fucking gobbledygook. So I do have a lot of um, sympathy for them. You do... You, there are certain people that is just impressive. So I was on cross questions with Brandon Lewis, and he is—he's just across the detail. He won't be drawn on stuff. He—he just—he absolutely knows what he's doing. Um, I think that there are some politicians who are a bit chaotic in their replies. Some people that don't send out much charisma. Um, like when I was on Question Time with Rebecca Long Bailey, yeah, she's perfectly nice. Good morning, Mrs. Long Bailey. But there was no charisma coming out of her at all. And, and so when she went on, this was like two years after that, when she went on to be to be in contention to be leader of the Labour Party, I was just like, fucking hell. She actually got a third of the vote. A third of people thought, good morning, Mrs. Long Bailey. I mean, like, if leaving the country had involved kind of like having like an activity fully set up in the morning with prit sticks and scissors, and I think she's a woman. Um, and yeah, but you know, you compare that to then when I was on with Lisa Nandy, who, you know, she can be quite a spiky, spiky personality, um, but but she, you know, she gets it out there. Do you know what I mean? She's on the front foot and she's quite charismatic. Um, one, one person that really surprised me in terms of his general vibe 
was Jacob Rees-Mogg, who um, who is really humble, man. <laughs> and I know like lefties listen to this, so you're not going to want to hear this, but he was like, he's really nice, and and he's got this sort of stoop about him that suggests that he was never quite good enough for father. And he um, he was like, so when I arrived at question time, I was like, you're all right. I just try and speak to people like normal people. I was like, all right, Jake, you fucking skinny cunt. Um, <laughs> I was like, all right, how's, how's it going? I said, a busy day. You know what I mean? Like, and he was like, yes, yes, I had to, uh, had to go home, you know, bath the kids and get them out. He's just, he's just reminded that these people are normal people. And then, you know, fast forward into 30 minutes into question time, he's giving some answer about the Boer War in which he, he, he accidentally seemed to imply that concentration camps weren't always bad. So it sort of, sort of loops back to my original point of how people can get themselves in trouble. Um, but the point I'm making is is that, you know, I really enjoy being on political type shows. I enjoy doing Times Radio and stuff like that. So increasingly I'm thinking, you know, that might be like part of where my home is. Because the thing about political shows, with comedy shows, they would have balance reluctantly. They'd have to be dragged kicking and screaming towards balance. Whereas political shows have balance built into them. And that's where, how I like to work. I really do genuinely want to hear all sides of the argument. <laughs> That, right, that's the end of the show. Was that, was that last bit a bit boring? I'm sorry, I, I really gave, you know, I was asked the question, I gave like a full and thorough answer. Maybe, maybe that's why politicians do fuck about all the time. It's best to just give a short piece of bollocks than, than a full uh, answer. But um, but yeah, I this is the end of the show this week. We've just got um, some reviews to do, not before we've said thank you to our new £3 patrons, which is Andrew Cresswell. I just feel like I'm knowing Andrew Cresswell. Do I know Cressers? Andy, Andy, it's got to be Andy Cresswell, isn't it? Because, yeah, that scans a bit better. and Or maybe you should have gone with a little, little um, alliteration like Dave Duncan. You should have gone with Colin Cresswell. See, immediately that's working better, isn't it? We've got Ben Amundsen. Ben Amundsen. Ben Amundsen. Look, Ben, man, that's a decent... But that, that's clunky, man. Andy Amundsen. I just think everybody should have alliterative names. Andy Amundsen. Or Andy... You could, you could swap names, couldn't you? Instead, you could have Andrew Cresswell's first name. He could be ben, ben Cresswell works nicely. Andy Amundsen. Get you guys get in touch. Have a little name swap, and then just Sam. I didn't have your surname, Sam, but thank you all for being part of the Patreon community. <laughs> Maybe you should have you know your own uh, your own safe space, right? Um, so a few reviews here. I haven't checked these. Let's see what we've got. So if you leave a five star review on iTunes, I will definitely read it out. Um, for a while now, this is from Shitality. For a while now, I've struggled to find any other form of entertainment that fits roughly with my views, so I'm very glad that I stumbled across this. Normal people are underrepresented as they do not have the time to produce a sheer volume of whining and virtue signaling that the Wokies do. Jeff articulates and represents with great humour what a lot of normal people are thinking. Thanks for addressing the balance, Jeff. Matt from Watford. Uh, my pleasure, sir. Um, really enjoying to uh, listen. This, this one's quite a long one, so I'll just read a bit of this from Paul Salad. <laughs> really enjoy listening to Jeff's take on the world while I don't agree with many of his points of views I do understand better the genesis of arguments from the right informed, funny and tons of material to poke and prod a reaction it's a breath of fresh air cheers mate thank you very much for that Paul's salad uh, Tommy Taxi is this just, just one person making up ridiculous names Tommy Taxi um, I live in Island. born and braised working born and braised he's, he's uh, lives with cannibals uh, I live in Island. I was born and raised working class just in case you confuse me with the liberal elite thoroughly enjoy the pod and I rate and recommend the podcast you're welcome thank you um, Bertronosaurus 
This is um, funny, insightful and down to earth. I've listened to all of the WMPT podcasts and loved every single episode, particularly interviews with Ali, Alistair Williams, Andrew Doyle, etc. And the men's mental health bits. Thanks you, uh, for your review. Before reading out the next one, I just want to know... I just want people to know I secretly love falafel and public pumpkin lattes. Well, get the fuck out then, frankly. We don't need that filth around here, for God's sake. Uh, this is from the DX. This is um, my Friday drive home listen. Consistently insightful and funny. Good guess. And Jeff still, I think, has the voice of what most people think if people I talk to are anything to go by. Two things, though. Will his body hold out to see us through the next few years with his common sense? It's very true. And two, he has killed my ability to hear the name Keir Starmer in any other way <laughs> than he uses it on the podcast. Well, we've already had a Keir Starmer this week, haven't we? You're not saying I'm going to go back and play. Um, this, is, uh, this is from Alan. I, I have been on the political left all my life today. Wokeness comes along and the political left moves so far that I become right of centre. And I now find myself listening to comedians such as yourself. Result. There you go, Labour Party. If you want to know what went wrong at last election... Um, you, want, you might want to have a little chat with Alan, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 44. Uh, this is from Chilton's Ian. Uh, Jeff Norcott def- definitely balances his easy charm with mild offence. <laughs> that is going on the poster, mate. Easy charm with mild offence. Everyone likes to be mildly offended. It makes you feel alive, doesn't it? Uh, unlike some other political comedians, Jeff never forgets to be funny first, political second. Well, thanks for mentioning that, Ian. That is part of the, uh, part of the point. Um, thank you, Jeff, for making this podcast weekly. It's a winning format. Well, look, that is the point. Since it, since we had lockdown, started the Patreon, it's weekly. You know, it looks like we're going down lockdown road again. If you want, if you want to keep old Jeff, you know, in kind of in in, in bacon rolls and that, then you might want to throw a few quid on the old Patreon. If you if you don't want to do that, then maybe recommend the podcast. You know, or maybe if he has a tour coming up next year, wink, wink, that might be announced soon, or even maybe you might be writing something that you might be able to buy then, uh, you know, throw a few quiddies. If you're doing the pure, pure cockney, you have to roll your eyes. Eh? Throw a few quiddies, way. Anyway, cheers for listening. See you next week.